from WCOZ, Where's Cause Radio. This is The Stray Mile. My name is Bill Costello. My students oftentimes called me Cause. I worked in the Muckleteal School District, which is a suburban school district north of Seattle, Washington, for 34 years. I taught initially at Mariner High School and then since its opening at Kamiak High School until I retired two years ago, at least retired from that system, and then with my wife moved to Myanmar, formerly Burma, and I currently teach at Yangon International School here in Yangon. Have you ever had a former student stalk you halfway around the world? I've had uh, some very peculiar incidents occur with my students before, but uh, going 15,000 miles in pursuit of uh, what, I don't know, craziness is uh, a little bit extreme. The extreme student stalking cause halfway around the world, that would be me. My name is Matt, and if you've been listening to the Stray Mile podcast, you'll know I've been trying to track down my high school English teacher. I knew he had retired and moved to Asia, and after looking in China and Japan, a tip from a listener brought me to Kaz's doorstep in Yangon, Myanmar. I doubt I ever would have come to Myanmar had I not been looking for Kaz. It just wasn't really a country that I had on my travel radar. But for Kaz and his wife Wendy, an extended trip to this part of the world was an idea that had been brewing for some time. How did this move to Myanmar come about? Well, Wendy and I have both uh, for many, many years thought about returning to the adventures that we had when we were younger, where we were able to, in a more footloose manner, uh, travel and, and at one point circumnavigated the globe and spent some time in Southeast Asia and hoped to get back here. But of course, life and careers and children intervened. So when we finally got to a point where we could retire, uh, we started looking at international teaching and this opportunity just opened up. So you guys come as a, as a package deal. Um, what was the conversation like at home when, okay, there's an offer on the table, Myanmar? That was sort of interesting that things happened so quickly. We had talked about it for years, but then when we actually signed up and got our letters of recommendation and turned in the credentials and everything else, there was a um, sort of international internet interview process that they were just, since the embryonic stages, they were just trying it and within days we had this offer and uh, you know, it sounded very exciting to us. Burma had just uh, recently opened, uh, of course, as Myanmar and it was an opportunity for us to see a country that a lot of Westerners had not been able to get to before, so we were we jumped on it. Both of you are recently back from a class trip to the capital. Uh, this week there's a trip to, to Bangkok you've been telling me about. There's a conference soon in Borneo. In Borneo. So while you're working and like many places like this, weekend travel is pretty pretty feasible. But as you mentioned, this isn't your first uh, trip to this part of the world. What were the circumstances of your first trip? Well, my very first trip <clears throat> occurred while I was in the womb since I was born in Fukuoka, Japan during 
the occupation. Uh, so I guess I have a little bit of a bloodline that goes back uh, to this part of the world. But then when we, uh, in 1981-82, we took a year off and, and traveled around the world. So we found ourselves uh, a couple of months in China when it had just initially opened to Western travel and went through Nepal and Thailand and India. Uh, but we, weren't, we couldn't get into what was then Burma. Uh, it's obviously now Myanmar. And so that was an area that had fascinated us. In any event, uh, and we had come up through the Malaysian Peninsula, so we really had previously fallen in love with this part of the world. And again, we're just very, very excited to come back. What inspired that trip? You know, when you first when you first left, what was the inspiration behind traveling around the world back then? Other than the the obvious reason of it's there. Yeah, I, I think Winnie and I both <coughs> had had an opportunity to to travel quite a bit relatively uh, relative to that before but we had never really gotten to some of the different corners that were what we considered a little more exotic at, at that point when he had traveled all the way across Russia and had spoke the language well during that period of time and I'd had a chance to kick around Europe with um, a friend of mine earlier in my uh, life and and we had become sort of fascinated with um, south of uh, the United States, but we really wanted to make sure that we got out because we both, we absolutely wanted to raise a family and we knew that that might be a little more difficult. So we, Wendy uh, got out of law school and lawyered for a few years and I kind of doubled down on my teaching and we just lived on one income and just said, well, you know, we're going to take a 15 months and do it. And so it, uh, it worked out for us that it was a perfect time to travel as well so was there a similar inspiration behind this trip or this move or was it a different beast yeah i think a much different beast uh, again the similarities being we now had raised children and didn't have those responsibilities anymore and had a career that had uh, already been richly played out and uh, certainly we could have kept writing that um, bicycle if we wanted and, and we're perfectly happy doing it but we also knew that uh, you know the life circumstances are such that you only have so many years that you can keep maintain that energy especially in the teaching game so we wanted to make sure that if we were going to teach overseas that we were able to bring our A game at least what is what we have left of our A game and uh, that's worked out pretty well for us. Yeah, you signed up for two years originally, two years of the A-game, and, and you extended for a third now, uh, you've told me since I've been here. Uh, how come? Well, we just, again, one, we just fell in love with the kids and fell in love with the school, and it and it was uh, very rejuvenating. I think a lot of people who find that if they change, not even necessarily career, but just venue or location or something. Uh, the other thing is we have have this very interesting uh, stipulation in the contract because we live here that every 70 days we have had to leave the country for visa renewals and part of our contract is that they subsidize that with plane fare and and putting us up in hotels so it's very easy to turn that as well as the spring and christmas 
I mean, and Easter vacations that we get into uh, opportunities to see the different areas. But the more we saw, the more we realized we wanted to see even more. So it was sort of a, a perfect storm of really enjoying the kids, feeling like we had one more year to give, and wanting to see a couple of uh, different locations that we hadn't gotten to. Kids loved ringing the bells at a Buddhist pagoda in Yangon, my first sightseeing trip with Kaz as my tour guide. The temple is open on the sides and it kind of feels like an airplane hangar. But instead of planes, there are tributes to Buddha. Most are a mixture of reverence and garishness, including the pagoda's centerpiece. This is called the Reclining Buddha. It is one of the longest and largest reclining Buddhas in Southeast Asia. It's, as we can see, as we sit here looking at it, the Buddha is in a younger stage. Seemingly the artists have decided to give him very, very long lashes, pink lips, and bright blue eyes. So there's a little bit disconcerting aspect to that, as well as, of course, at the very end of the 300-foot structure, bright pink toenails outlined in gold. So it does have a bit of a wow factor to it. All visitors to Buddha shrines must remove their shoes. And among the barefoot visitors was a group of tourists from Switzerland, an old monk getting around with the help of a gnarled wooden walking stick, and several practicing Buddhists who were there to pray. Even in the short time I spent in Myanmar, the impact of Buddhism on the people was unmistakable. Kaz gave me his take as someone who had taken it in for a year and a half. I guess for me it's just the subtlety of the way in which Buddhism seems entrenched in every practitioner's life, whether they are in the highest economic echelon, which is something I see in professionally in my work with teaching relatively privileged Burmese children, all the way down to um, people who are clearly living on the street and um, living in a small bamboo hut that they may be selling a singular item out of. Uh, and yet they will, to the person, uh, bow reflexively when they come by a, a, a Buddha statuary or seemingly uh, incorporate a very calm, forward-looking aspect into their philosophy on just about everything. I, I really think that one of the things that the true believers will have is that life is so transient, but yet spirituality can go beyond our human form and life. So that, of course, seemingly adds purpose to their existence. I am not a practicing Buddhist or even a non-practicing Buddhist, but it was easy to feel inspired by the tranquil nature of the worshippers and monks at the reclining Buddha. Oh, absolutely, without question. These, I have completely fallen in love with this country and with Burmese people, and certainly even though there are problematic aspects to everything from the issues in the Rakhine and um, the way in which um, on certain levels interactions with other religions occur, the person on the street, the, the normal uh, 
person that you run into is as kind and outgoing and magnanimous as any humans I've ever been around. So that's certainly a takeaway. There's got to be something in their way of life and what they've adapted that keeps them on a level that um, genuinely, I think, keeps, keeps them healthy. We could talk for several hours about the history of this country. Uh, it's a, somewhat of an unknown part of the world for a lot of people. It was a long time a British colony, four or five decades under a military junta. Um, what's the what's the Reader's Digest version of the past couple of years? Well, exciting, certainly. Uh, this is last uh, October was and, and November was the uh, election for a big campaign election, and, and of course, uh, Ong Sung uh, in LD, in, in LD. In LD uh, the, I always get the acronym uh, wrong. Party won a sweeping victory, and so though she is not allowed to be the president because of some constitutional shenanigans that's been uh, put in, she nonetheless is is the de facto head of the government and and uh, they and she and her party has uh, taken over most of the different ministerial positions so you still have this very strange little catwalk between the military which constitutionally has 25 percent of the seats in the parliament and also of course the history of 40 years of complete control uh, but yet also at this sort of I don't know difficulties of any nascent democracy trying to find their footing. So it's uh, two steps forward, one step back, and, and of course all sorts of other problems begin to emerge once transparency is brought into the process. And it appears as though, I think to the outside world, that there are some astronomical problems. And of course there are problems, that, but there's also been phenomenal change and a, a positivity that is hard to quantify but is certainly apparent if you are living here. So I feel like we've seen some things that are transformative and and certainly in terms of economics and the infrastructure, it is making quantum leaps into the 21st century. You said you spent a couple months traveling through China. Did you have a, and it was a, it was a newly opened uh, frontier at the time. Were you seeing the similar very rapid development in China at the time, or is this a different, uh, is this going at a different pace? I'm sure it did go at that pace. We were in China for two months and, and never, from the time we left Guangzhou until we finally um, got sort of circle around the whole country back to Shanghai, we really didn't see another Western face or at least have a conversation with uh, anyone that wasn't Chinese at and so we didn't notice the change as much it just seemed like a, a step far far back in time for us uh, very problematic in terms of travel and finding anything from as, as even finding a restaurant where that would accept uh, any kind of the denominations that we were carrying uh, whereas here we're the growth is there was already some westernization even be, while the junta was here uh, and, and even for instance the school I teach in is an American curriculum school that's taught in English and has been in existence for almost a decade but 
it's a very, very slim, slim slice of the population. So what we're, I, I think the parallels are different. I do know that within the decade after we left that the, very obviously, the acceleration of, of change in China was drastic as it continues to be. You're at the end of a long career in teaching. I know that you had long hours. You had a very long commute in traffic from Seattle to Mukilteo. You were always involved in extracurriculars from basketball coaching to cross-country, track, high Q, and whatever else. Um, put in a lot of hours that we all benefited from as your students. Why add this encore in a country that can be tricky to na navigate on the best of days when you could be leisurely strolling around Green Lake? Well, it's funny that you should mention all those uh, different factors. That actually played into it. One of the things that we both thought that wouldn't it be fun to luxuriate in actually having education as our number one priority, uh, not that it wasn't always teaching wasn't our first love and our passion, but when you get caught up in having to <clears throat> wear so many hats and do so many jobs and be so many people, uh, people's go-to person, whether it's in sports or activities or whatever, some of the, your original draw to education was diminished. So here, it's been lovely in that I have uh, much smaller classes, I have uh, tried to curtail the amount of extracurricular activities that I'm becoming involved in and, and really can concentrate on creating meaningful dialogue in my classroom and developing relationships. So that's, that's been just lovely. In the couple of days that I've been here, I've noticed that Myanmar is very different uh, than what we might be used to in the West in a lot of ways. But for you, does it feel any different at the front of your classroom? Not really. Uh, certainly, it's a different set of kids out there, and as you get to know them, you understand that the issues that they have in their life and the concerns that they have are perhaps different than um, suburban American kids. But they, the, at least at the school where I'm at, they really aspire to attend universities in America. They are, again, even though they are bi and trilingual, they are nonetheless receiving instruction in, in English. and are every bit as insightful and quick and hardworking as students that I was privileged enough to have in America. So it's been, in that way, not different. Where it becomes different is we'll go on, let's say, a, a week without walls where we go to Cambodia, uh, or we'll take a field trip uh, for 48 hours up to the capital in the interior of the country. And at that point, you start to really get into the stories that the kids uh, can share with you about their own lives and about their parents growing up in lives and and you realize just how extreme uh, the lifestyles have been in here over the last 50 years. <laughs> Kaz and Wendy have taken me to Shwedegon Pagoda in Yangon, where a woman is sitting cross-legged at a small shrine and singing. Her eyes are closed, and she's facing an open umbrella, so the sound of her voice arcs back toward her. 
Paz and Wendy have brought me here for a very special occasion. On every full moon, they have special gatherings at Shredegan, and as we have seen this evening, literally tens of thousands of folks show up. In fact, we'll have to get out of their way a little bit right here. And sort of serpentine around the most famous of the pagodas in Burma and pay their respects. Shwedegan Pagoda is one of Kaz and Wendy's favorite spots in Yangon. This is my fifth visit, I think, and I ended up in a room full of Buddhas that I've never, a little side paya that I've never been in before. And there are all these people here, and this room full of Buddhas, there was nobody but me and about 50 Buddhas. I was in that room. Wasn't that? That was cool. <laughs> it was a little weird because they were eerie. bigger and smaller. Yeah. Some were big, some yeah. were small. So every time I come here, I notice something different. It's a pretty amazing place. And it's so old and so historical and still visited seven days a week, 365 days a year, from sun up to well past sundown. Worshippers from all walks of life have packed the pagoda for the full moon, meandering through the endless shrines, statues, and gilded domes. Some stop at small shrines and place flowers on them, or pour water from metal cups onto the stone. Families have brought food and picnic blankets and sit on the ground enjoying a meal together. Kids dart in every direction, often gravitating toward the bells. It's even date night. Couples young enough to look like they could have cause as a teacher find quieter areas of the pagoda to sit and talk. Interspersed are monks, nuns, tour groups, and selfie-taking backpackers. The first couple times I had a tendency to fixate on the number of Westerners because uh, for whatever reason I thought that they were seeing it more as a roadside attraction. And the more I come back, I realize really it's a small dent that the vast, vast majority of the folks here are very devout Buddhist. And of course, the Westerners are people just like ourselves who are in awe of, of how spectacular this and strange and uh, arcane in some way to our way of thinking are these various rituals uh, that they go through. But also the devoutness of it is um, something to be appreciate I've met a lot of your co-workers I've seen your school uh, you guys have a very nice apartment here yet you know just around the corner you've got all kinds of of interesting and new experiences from Buddhist monasteries to these amazing shrines and temples you've taken me to and uh, street vendors selling raw chicken in the you know heat of the day after a year and a half here do you feel this is a this is this is home now or are you still on some exotic trip to a strange country I think a little of both certainly far more comfortable here have I've never felt the least bit threatened uh, this is a country that is 90% Buddhist. It is, of course, um, a third world country that is has a very, very low economic uh, base, and so you uh, have a great deal of 
what we would consider poverty, and, and certainly I'm not going to suggest that it's not, but there is a um, level of assistance, I think, that is hard to visualize coming from the West. Uh, I, I mentioned to you that when you first came that you'll be hard-pressed to see overt homelessness or uh, examples of um, violence, uh, and, and I think that's, that's largely the, the case, and certainly people are struggling, there's no question about that, and, and getting three meals a day is, is a lifestyle in many cases, but there's also a tranquility about it and uh, an ability to, to, I don't know, perhaps the, the tropics and, and the heat uh, adds to just a, a slightly slower pace of life. And I think that that's something that I've really enjoyed. Some people might consider moving abroad, moving to a country like Myanmar, to be quite the plunge and and an extreme decision. But you know, from the stories you've told over the, over the years, I know that you both are pretty adventurous. You mentioned your world travels before endless camping trips you and I have done an all-night run from uh, with some uh, former teammates and, and colleagues of yours from Mount Rainier National Park to the Pacific Ocean you've spent all kinds of time in Alaska you guys get out the door and you do it is getting out of your comfort zone an innate ability or is that a skill that can be honed you know it's it's that's a very interesting question I, I think everybody has the capacity to go beyond their comfort zone. It's just a matter of opening the door and, and doing it. Uh, whether or not you feel as though you are uh, in need of, of quick return is, I suppose, however the adventure plays out. But what I've found is uh, most of us are so much more self-reliant than we give ourselves credit for. And, and if we simply uh, have a little faith in ourselves and, and really um, go forth with a fairly positive attitude. What I've found is people are people all over the world and the vast, vast majority of them are outward looking and love nothing better than to have new moments of adventure, even if it's simply meeting somebody from a different country. So as long as you make that effort to reach out a little bit, then you're going to find that the mutual reciprocity is something you can keep keeps you going regardless of where they are. I've lived in Germany now for eight years. I'm, I definitely agree. Um, I think also you, as an expat, you tend to have a mixture of the fun and new and exciting experiences, and then there are some things that you, um, you know, definitely cling on to from home that you bring with you as part of your own presentation to, to people that you meet. That includes some creature comforts. I noticed in your kitchen the very large jar of Adam's peanut butter. <laughs> in in my house, it is Frank's red hot chicken wing sauce that I bring from the U.S. back to Germany. When you leave, what is one thing, physical thing, you think you will take with you in your suitcase? And what's one thing that you would like to take with you, but you can't because it's not it's not physical. It's something that is just existing here. Well, you know, we won't, we won't leave with many things. We've uh, acquired some uh, beautiful paintings. I think the Burmese people are fantastically, inordinately talented in so many areas, painting and dance and music. And, 
And so getting some of their uh, iconic uh, carvings and, and paintings, those are things that we'll try and roll up and, and get in a little um, shipping cart and, and send home. Uh, we've fallen in love with a lot of their cuisine and uh, fruit like pomelo, which we didn't even know existed before. So those are things that we're not going to be able to bring home. But we certainly, when we get back to Seattle, we'll seek out, I think, uh, Burmese cuisine as we, <laughs> as we uh, return to our the normal uh, life. But the other thing is that, that we'll never capture, I'm, I'm sure, is just the excitement of coming to a country where it's a, a new philosophy, a new religion, uh, the smells and the tastes that are so overwhelming in some cases, but also so embracing as you get to become more familiar with them. So, yeah. And of course, the sunshine, going to the Northwest, we're certainly not going to be ever enjoying the tropical climes again. Do you think that in another 15 years you might want to have one of your students from uh, Yangon here showing up at your doorstep in Seattle? Oh, <laughs> I hope it's not 15 years. Uh, they, they may just have to wheel me around the lake or something at that point, but I, uh, we really uh, hope, and, and as the students in, head to the American, of course, Wendy is the career counselor and, and um, run, having classes in showing them where to go and helping with their application process, et cetera, have become very, very close to the last year's senior class and this year's and hopefully next year's as well. So uh, I fully expect to uh, have some knocks on the door from those kids much more than in 15 years. So they better get on it, not wait so long like I did. Yeah. Well, fortunately, I'm still ambulatory. So you you did okay. I'm just, I just want to make sure that they're not showing up and, and me not even be able to... Uh, ascertain whether it's, uh, you know, the pizza delivery guy or an ex-student of mine. When I showed up on Kaz's doorstep in Myanmar, I was not mistaken for the pizza guy. I was given the royal treatment by Kaz and Wendy. Their local insights made my trip to Yangon quite unique and very memorable. So thanks very much to both of them. As I've said from the beginning, Stray Mile is part wild goose chase and part riding exercise. The wild goose chase to find Kaz in Asia has been a success. He was an inspiring teacher and mentor to many of us, and it speaks to his impact that he has on his students that he inspired one 15 years later to take a crazy trip to a faraway country like Myanmar to look up an old friend. As for the writing exercise, Stray Mile will continue in some shape or form, and I'd be pretty happy if you hung around to see what's next. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Android devices by searching Stray Mile in your podcast app. You can check out the website, straymile.com, or you can follow Stray Mile on Instagram or Facebook. My name is Matt, and this has been the Stray Mile Podcast. Thanks for listening. That kind of thing makes editing difficult. Yeah. <laughs>